Welcome to this episode of TAPCAST. I'm your host, Chloe Wierzyniak. On today's episode, we have two guests. We have Sandra Medina, who's doing a PhD in literature and culture in Spanish. And we have Matt Charnley, who's doing a PhD in mathematics. Both of them are here today to tell us about their experiences with active learning. Uh, so we can get a perspective from two very different sides of the education spectrum. I asked them about their experiences with using active learning, some of the potential pitfalls of active learning and some of the critiques. And finally, I asked them about their advice for using active learning and some of their favorite techniques that they've used. Let's dive in. little bit about your background and your current role at Rutgers. Sandra, let's start with you. Uh, okay, so I've been an instructor uh, from as long as I can remember. I came to Rutgers after being uh, at Montclair State for four years with my BA because I wanted to be a high school teacher. Uh, so I did the whole uh, teaching program at Montclair and I learned so many techniques and everything and I was really sure that I wanted to be a high school teacher. And then I did my, <laughs> my um, practice, and I realized that that wasn't for me. So I knew that I needed to come back to school, and I decided to do a PhD to become a, a professor. So that would be like my pedagogical background. So then I, I came here, and I'm doing a PhD in literature and culture in Spanish. And specifically, right now, I'm researching uh, Colombian film and the representation of violence. Um, so yeah, my fifth year. I'm in my fifth year right now. Yeah, I'm from pretty much the other side of the spectrum. Um, I am a sixth year in the math program here at Rutgers. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to do teaching type stuff for a while, but the sort of shape of that never really took form. Um, I just kind of kept going with math and more and more math stuff. and kind of end up where I am. So I sort of came into, into the PhD program here at Rutgers, knowing that I eventually wanted to teach and didn't really know where that was going to be. And sort of over my time here, having taught a bunch of different classes and been a TA several, many times, um, has sort of picked up different sort of skills and different practices in sort of uh, pedagogy and different sort of ideas over time as it's developed. So how would you define or maybe describe what you would consider active learning. So Matt, maybe let's start with you this time. Sure. So I think the big thing that I would use to define active learning is almost as not passive learning in sort of that context, where active learning to me is pretty much anything that gets the students more involved in the learning process than sitting around absorbing lectures. Mm -hmm. So it can take millions of different forms, but it's just something that is not sort of sitting there and someone's talking at you and writing equation after equation on the board and saying this is what you're supposed to learn just sort of talking at you about it it's more of a the student is now also doing something to be involved with the process uh, and one of the big things i've come to discover over the past couple of years is that it's really not as foreign of a concept as people think where people are doing this all the time they just may not know that it sort of fits under the umbrella of active learning at least for what i think about it mm -hmm. i don't know Yes, uh, so in my case, because we're teaching always literature or language, so it's a little bit different. Um, I, th I agree with you completely about the definition. I will add just to give students 
the responsibility of learning uh, because then, you know, like we are not the only um, person who is giving them the information that they need, but they are taking responsibility for their own learning, you know, with the tools that were given them. So it's like guiding them. I felt mm-hmm. that my, my job then becomes uh, as a facilitator and not a lecturer, which becomes very, you know, like, and I think students right now tend to uh, expect that from instructors. They know that, oh, I go to class and, I, and she's gonna tell me everything that I need to know. But when we change everything around and it's like, it's your responsibility to find the answers and to come up with uh, the definitions and everything, then, then it becomes a challenge. And they know and, and they have to read beforehand and they, you know, like if this gives, gives them a sense of responsibility, I would say. Could you tell us a bit about your specific experiences of working with active learning? Mm-hmm. So um, I used that last year, and the class was from the comparative literature department. Uh, it was called uh, Past Today, Why Conflicts Endure. So I was just one of the recitation leaders. I had a 20, like my class was 25 students approximately, and they were supposed to be able to read different arts from Korea, in the United States, Colombia, and Mexico. So when I say arts, means literature, paintings, film, so you know, like all different things. And it, it was really interesting just to use the classroom and, and use active learning because um, they, they were forced to, to really engage with the readings and engage with the paintings. And, and it was a very different experience for me. So I don't know, I'm just going to jump in there. What kind of a form did like the active learning stuff take in the classroom? I know you're doing all the questions here, but coming from a math background, like what does it look like in the classroom doing that kind of stuff? If you're calling, if you're, it's, it's your active learning sort of stuff, what does it look like? Um, well, because the classroom um, is in Livingston, the one that I thought. So uh, the classroom it, it already has like six round tables. They are big and they have like five students per class. So even you know, like right away, like I was designing lessons with five people in my mind. Like, okay, these five people had to be together and I use, you often group them, um, you know, based on skills or how open they were or if they were more advanced than the others you know in a, in, a, in a way that everyone was able to communicate so in that sense I was using the technology to show like maybe the painting and then uh, using the, the the table just to be able to I don't know like put a poster in the middle and they were supposed like to move around and move their seats or kind of using the wireless connection to get into someone else's response because they were supposed to respond to the poster that was in the middle of the table. And then they were moving around, looking at different computers or getting connected with other people. So in that way, that's how it looked with, you know, with the different arts that they were able to to engage with throughout the semester. Mm -hmm. I don't know, what about you? (laughs) Yeah, so it's, Kind of similar, kind of different. So I've so the last two summers that I taught my own classes, I went for a pretty heavy emphasis on the sort of active learning um, point of view. So 
Um, the one of them I ran more as a flipped classroom, so they had learned more of the stuff outside of class and came in and sort of the homework part of class was done mm -hmm. during the in-class time. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, looked a lot like um, what you were explaining if you were a class. Um, not so much moving around the room, but more in the like, guise of, I think I was in the same classroom, so I had all the round tables, and I had smaller groups centered at each table, mm -hmm. and the idea was they would come into class and they would get the time while they were sitting there to sort of work on problems, discuss with their neighbors, and sort of piece together how this all works mm -hmm. in their groups while I'm in the room. So while I'm there to sort of correct anything that they, you know, don't understand or they seem to get mm -hmm. wrong, mm -hmm. they can sort of work out all the bugs and their details of what they're doing mm -hmm. while they're sitting there mm -hmm. um, in the classroom. So this whole group discussion, group dynamics sort of thing is sort of where, at least in at least the classrooms I've been doing, what, what it sort of looks like is they're working in groups, they're trying to sort out these problems, and if they get stuck, they can talk to their neighbors and try to figure it out. If they're all stuck, they'll flag me down and I'll go run over and be like, okay, mm -hmm. here, and try to sort out the sort of situation mm -hmm. and sort of get them moving on the right track again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was pretty similar with me too. Um, I, I think that one of the issues was that, the, you know, like I had 25 students, so the groups were, yeah, five groups of five people, you know, and then even though, you know, like they had a specific things that they needed to discuss and then find out by themselves, you know, like I was trying to run around everywhere because they had a lot of questions, specifically because, you know, like the, the literature, for example, it was very difficult. So in that sense, I, I you know, like it, it was a struggle a little bit because I was trying to move around and try to step away from being the lecturer, the one that will stop and say, hey, listen to me, because this is a common problem that everyone had. So in that sense, uh, it was challenging, but you know, like I was trying to say, well, that look at this first, and then I will jump to a different table and say, look at this later. And then, you know, like sometimes I did stop and said, well, this is something that I saw and, and cl clarify something, and then they moved on, so. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the hardest things I think about active learning and, and doing this sort of group work type thing is knowing when to step in mm -hmm. because you're there, you are at that point, you are the expert in the room. You know what they're sort of supposed to learn, supposed to get out of this, but you're not trying to like throw it at them and have them just absorb what you're saying and learn it. You want them to sort of get there on their own. So the question is, when do you step in? How do you step in? And I also felt many times during the classes I was running that I had to, I went to three different tables and saw them have the exact same problem three, three mm -hmm. times in a row. I was like, okay, everybody stop. Hang on a sec. Mm -hmm. Everyone is messing this thing up. Let's talk about it for a second. Let's clarify. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure we're all on the same page mm -hmm. and then let them sort of go again. And I think that is one of the hardest sort of dynamics to try to manage because you don't want to lecture. But at some point, at some point, if everyone's messing up the same thing, you have to correct them. Yes. And you don't want to run and correct the same problem in every, every single group time. of the class. So it becomes sort of more beneficial for you to wrap things up, bring everybody together, say mm -hmm. something, and then try mm -hmm. to let them go mm -hmm. from there. Um, did you encounter anyone that was not willing to work in groups? Um, work in groups? That was sort of, most people were okay with the group. Um, dynamic. Some of the groups were less talkative than others, um, which I guess might mean they weren't willing to work in groups because they were working on their own as opposed to um, actually working with the group and discussing things. Um, but I had less of an issue on that front. Um, I think because after like the first couple of weeks, the groups all kind of knew each other. Mm -hmm. They knew like 
I didn't switch up the groups, which may have been a mistake on my part. Mm. Um, but the groups they sort of had talked to, they knew they had a nice rapport with the rest of the group mates. So they would sort of just discuss things on the fly as opposed to sort of being forced mm-hmm. into it kind of thing. Um, but some groups were definitely better at it than others. And that's mm-hmm. another thing to deal with when you're running a classroom of this, or at least I think. Mm-hmm. Did you have people like that? Uh, in my, you know, like in my case, I think because, you know, like when, when they were supposed to analyze a painting, it was easier because the visual was there and, you know, I had a PowerPoint and they, they were able to see it and discuss it. But when they were supposed to read a short story that was like 10 pages long before class, that was the challenge because I knew that the majority didn't read the story. So I saw that like for a couple of sessions and I decided then that what I will do is give them a specific fragments of the story, thinking that maybe the one that didn't read at least can look at the fragment and analyze it by itself. And the ones that did read can help this person, you know, with the context and what was going on and who the characters were. So in that sense, um, I think the the problem for me was that there were people that were doing the homework and were others that were not doing the homework with the reading. Uh, So that was one. And the other challenge was the overachievers because for some reason they were so good at analyzing everything on the spot and in one minute they were done with the activity. So usually these overachievers were in a group where other people were not in the same page. So they were done like in a minute and they were very, you know, like they they tried to let the others know what they found out, but the others didn't understand it. So they, they got really frustrated. So I got people saying like, well, you know, this is slow, like, can we move faster? But, you know, like in that case, I was thinking about the other people that were not there yet. So I was like, okay, no, I need to, you know, I try to give them something else. But that, I guess, I wasn't able to resolve at the end because these overachievers were really fast and really good and great. And I didn't know how to do anything else for them in this setting because they were supposed to work with others that maybe were not, you know, they didn't have that knowledge or that previous experience before. So, so I don't know, like, what will you tell me? <laughs> like, what can I do, you know, I, for next time that I teach in active learning? I don't know. Yeah, okay. teaching, teaching diverse classes is, I mean, it's always a difficulty, no matter whether you're doing something active or just lecturing or not, having a diverse group in a classroom is always difficult. Um, I found that with some of my groups were, I mean, I had the issue of that some of my group, groups as a whole were distinctly better than some of the other groups. So as opposed to having one really good person in a group that was not doing so well in the class, I had groups that, of people that were just doing phenomenal as a whole, and so they would take off and run with things, and the other groups would sort of not do so well. Um, the biggest thing I can think of on that front, which is sort of where my next class went, was to try to get them to um, teach the other students, or at least sort of guide the other students through how they got there. And I guess half of it is getting those students to realize that the answer isn't the important part. Mm-hmm. It's the it's process, process of getting to mm-hmm. the answer that's the important part. Mm-hmm. And if they can try to work out that process and explain that to the people in their group, it's going to help them just as much as it helps the student they're trying to teach and trying to get them to sort of also be on your side and be sort of a second person in there who can help people and guide people 
I mean, it's hard. And mm -hmm. that's why, you know, we work all this time to prep these lessons and study up on how to teach things because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. But if you can encourage them to at least try to sort of discuss things in that manner where it's not just the answer you're trying to say. It's like, oh, I found this person. I agree with their statement or something. It's how did I sort of come to that conclusion? How did mm -hmm. I get there? Mm -hmm. And trying to get them to sort of explain that to them might be a way to go about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to try to get students to do, but yeah. it's sort of, I think, one of the most valuable things that they can do in that mm -hmm. sort of context. And, and I guess they did it, you know, like the overachievers, they were teaching them and showing them the process, but um, it became a routine. So then, you know, like at the end, they were like, you know, like I'm teaching this, you know, this group and, mm -hmm. you know, then I don't know, like this, I feel so bad for them if they're listening. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wish I could. I don't know, done something differently, but um, yeah, you know, like in that, in, and I guess it's specifically because, you know, like in literature and, you know, arts, um, is, there are different skills that is, you know, like they, there's an array of, of, of things that they need to look at. And there are people that were, you know, like they have practice or they were trained to do this, right? But there are others that is the first time. So it's very difficult to, you know, like to, to learn these things right away. But I think that, in, you know, like in general, active learning was very beneficial for all of them, especially the overachievers, because at least they, they were able to, to learn that the process is the most important thing. And then, you know, like it really doesn't matter how you get to the answer, but, you know, not the answer, I'm sorry, but how you get to the answer. One of the big skepticisms about active learning is that it takes too much time. These college courses have a lot of material you have to cover, and active learning just doesn't let you cover enough t material in that time. I mean, you've both talked about students who needed more time to absorb the material, but other students were charging ahead, and how do you balance that? So. Did you find that to be a challenge in your courses, not being able to cover all of the material? How did you address that? Basically, what would you say to someone who says, I can't do active learning, there's just not enough time? So that, I think, is one of the biggest challenges of running a classroom like that. And I think, I mean, and you can kind of directly think you're wrong, I think it is something that is very, very prevalent in math class and STEM fields. I'm not sure how it holds up other areas, but I know this is something that we deal with all the time in our math classes because there is generally, again, like you were saying, a fixed set amount of material that you must cover in the semester to move on to the next class because it's all, if you don't know what a derivative is, you can't go on to taking Calc 2. Like it's, it's, there's, it's this se sequence of classes and you have to take them in order and you have to cover certain things every time. So it is always an issue to deal with getting through everything in a class. Um, I feel like trying to implement active learning in that sort of class, it is an issue, but I feel like if you plan it out correctly, it is not nearly as much of a problem as people think it is. Mm -hmm. If you take the time to figure out, okay, what is actually important in this class? What are the important things that I have to get through and how am I gonna address that? You can turn those lessons into active learning things mm -hmm. and it's not gonna take you much extra time. Mm -hmm. For instance, um, at least from a math point of view, you could lecture for an hour and do the base material and then do three or four examples on the board and then that's your hour and you're done. 
or you could lecture for 15, 20 minutes, do one example, and then give them examples to do, and let them work in groups, and discuss it, and try to figure it out themselves, and sort of sort out these second examples that way. And that doesn't really cost you too much, too much more time. It's a little bit more prep, but it's not too much. And it gets them sort of working with it and trying to deal with it on their own and being engaged with the learning process more than you going through four examples of the chalkboard would. So it is an issue. If you plan it out properly, it becomes less of an issue. Um, I did feel with my class this past summer where I tried to do more of this sort of um, short lecture into problem sets sort of back and forth over the course of these, um, the summer class. Um, I did feel like something sort of slipped through the cracks in the sense of things that I would have emphasized about examples while I was lecturing. So I go through an example and I'd be like, here are the important things. Here's what you should notice about this. And I would sort of point things out and say, focus on these certain concepts. Those things never really happened. So sort of the, the big sort of contextualizing in the grander scheme of math sort of things and those sort of things where as an instructor I would get on a soapbox for a little bit and sort of talk about because I do that sometimes. Those moments didn't really happen as much because instead of me doing the examples and talking about them, they were doing the examples. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like if you weigh those things appropriately, I think that them doing it is slightly more important because it gets them sort of thinking about it and it gets them internalizing how to do these problems, how to work out these things, how to think about them because they've done more on their own rather than you sort of pointing out certain examples on the board. So it is something that is, you know, an issue. You got to give up a little bit of the control when you do these sorts of things because you're not running the classroom on your schedule. It's running on their schedule. Mm -hmm. and it's running on how quickly they can pick things up. And so you're going to feel like you don't have control. You're not going to get through everything. But if you've planned out your class sort of adequately enough in advance and know where you have to get and what things have to happen, you can still make it work. I completely agree with what you're saying. I think that for literature and different arts, is active learning is the best one of the best techniques because, as you said, what we need to look for is the objective of the class. And one thing, you know, like maybe they were supposed to read, I don't know, 20 short stories throughout the semester. But then I, I was asking myself, what do I want them to learn from these stories? What I want them to take with them for the rest of their careers and for their lives and you know what's the objective here so in that sense I was trying always to plan my lessons in a way that I was kind of getting to that object objective and try to get them to become readers not only of the text of the painting but of the world so in that sense I was trying to to like for example if they were supposed to read three short stories and they were 10 pages long each one I will choose or find like common themes among them and try to give them a specific questions and that they can work on, you know, in a group. And in that way, like all the stories were commented upon and then they were discussed, um, but not, you know, in detail, not in, you know, like in, in that, that, that kind of way. Because, you know, what I wanted them to figure out on their own was the theme, the characters, how it played out how the short story was commenting uh, about the poli political uh, context or the social struggles in the country by itself. So in that sense, that every week I was trying to 
um, find ways to, to get them to that objective. So for example, one of the ways that in literature we read a short story is by uh, listing uh, or yeah, like listing uh, what happened, right? Maybe uh, the characters are here and this is the characterization of these characters. Uh, this is the setting, this is the place. Um, what, this is the language that, that the author used. This is the tone, this is the political context. So instead of doing everything one day, I chose two things or three. And because throughout the semester they were supposed to keep reading, I will do three more the next class or three more the other one. At the end, they were able to do all of them, you know, because, you know, with each story they were able to figure out one thing only. So in that sense, it was slower than a n typical class because in a typical class we will discuss everything in 50 minutes and you know like they're getting all this information and I'm pretty sure that when they get home they don't remember anything. But in this way they read you know one or two and they just focus in two concepts or terms and they got home and they practiced them and then the next week they we added two more and they practiced them. So in that sense like everything was covered but in a different way you know in a very strategic way, I would say. <laughs> and I think strategic is sort of the way to go with this stuff, because you do have to get through it all and be strategic about it. Mm -hmm. I will say you mentioned objectives for my class this past summer and the one I'm teaching this semester. That was the first time I actually like wrote out learning goals for my course, and I feel like it helped a lot in trying to say, okay, how am I gonna organize around these goals I want them to understand? Mm -hmm. And sort of having those goals in mind when trying to plan an active classroom, mm -hmm it helps you realize what's important, what you should change, what you should modify to get them towards these goals. Yeah, exactly. And for example, this semester, I'm not teaching in an active learning classroom, but I'm teaching with an active learning approach, which is kind of the same thing because, you know, like in the classroom, we have whiteboards all over and uh, you can move the seats. You can do so many things. It's kind of the same things that I was doing before. I'm, I'm kind of doing it here. And, and they've been loving it. So I'm like, you know, like this is a good approach to teaching. And I think that if out there you're still thinking, oh, is this for me or not, you should definitely do it and give it a try. So you both mentioned that you taught in the active learning classroom on Livingston. Now, I think that classroom holds 56 students about. Um, Sandra, I think you said your class had about 25 students. 25, yes. And Matt also. It was right around 25, yeah. So we know that growing class size is a major issue in higher education right now, especially in these introductory level courses. Now, even though your classes only had around 25, that classroom still holds about 56, and that's the smaller of the active learning classrooms. So I wonder if you could maybe, if you don't have experience, maybe just sort of generalize from the experience you have and conjecture and just give me some insight into how do we address active learning in these larger classrooms? Is it possible to do active learning in these larger classrooms and should we even be trying? Um, I think that um, having 25 versus 50 students in an active learning classroom uh, really doesn't matter in the sense that when you are, when you have a, a specific objective for that class, um, you, you know, like the size of the classroom won't change that objective. What it will do is that your role 
will definitely not be the same. So I know that there are actually assistants that you can uh, hire. And I know this in, in the College of Active Learning Classroom, you can hire people who want to learn how to teach and you can hire them to help you in this big classroom that holds, I think, 100 people. So if you have a specific objective and you have these people that are trained, they can definitely help your group and you can get the objective and do everything that you're doing with 25 or 10 people in a bigger scale. Yeah, I think, I think the activities for active learning scale up fairly well. Um, the issue then, as you're mentioning, is A, needing to be five places at the same time because everyone wants your help all at once. And if you're trying to do sort of group discussions and stuff, things kind of get out of hand um, pretty quick. As far as the um, being multiple places at once, it just some, comes down to either A, getting an LA or learning assistant or someone who can be in there to sort of um, help and be another facilitator in the room or being more, I guess, stingy with your time and realizing that, okay, I can't sit with this one group and discuss the same thing for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I have to keep moving around. So you have to be a little more, I guess, short with them in terms of your answers, which is not ideal, but if it comes to it, you kind of have to, and you, you do what mm -hmm. you have to do to get through everything. Um, and I, th I think things scale up as well as they do because they usually involve smaller group sort of dynamics, mm -hmm. which case having five groups of five versus 10 groups of five means a little more prep work in terms of you need 10 things instead of five things. But outside of that, the in-class dynamic sort of still just mm -hmm. does its thing and still works. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this whole breaking up into smaller groups is sort of a way you can get around the whole big class size thing. Because if you're having them discussing groups of four, again, it doesn't really matter too much how many groups you have. And then maybe you want to do some sort of structured thing for them to report back. So. Mm -hmm. Like a think pair share sort of thing could happen where you're trying to have them like you have groups of four discuss, then they go meet with their neighboring group and discuss mm -hmm. things about that, and then you have them all report back. Mm -hmm. And now you only have three or four groups of eight or ten that are reporting back as opposed to having ten groups, mm -hmm. which gets out of hand when you want to have ten groups each talk about what they learned. Mm -hmm. They talk for two minutes and you're done with your class. Um, so figuring out ways to sort of tie the big class together I think is the issue but I think everything you want to do in the active classroom will still run pretty much no matter how big the class is it gets too big you start running the issues of people that are just going to zone out and not care the entire time because you're not going to pay attention to them because there are so many students in the class mm -hmm. but on the whole it's a little more prep work but I think it scales up mm -hmm. fairly well again the biggest class I've dealt with has been 25, 30 students. So I don't know how well things scale up, but I have the impression that as long as you're breaking things up into groups and you've got students who are willing to go along with it, then things will scale up pretty easily. Uh, when you were describing uh, this, I was thinking about the same thing. You know, like um, if you have a, a group that is big, probably people will be zoned out or be sleeping or not paying attention. But I think that in that case, then your lessons should be designed in a way that every person in the group has a role. Mm -hmm. So if they have a role and they are responsible for a role and that they need to fulfill no matter what, then that can actually help with the dynamic of the group, the dynamics, and then... Um, 
you know, like maybe they have to report something. And even the group can say, well, I don't know, this person was sleeping and didn't participate, you know, like putting them in charge also of their own of their own grades and their own points, you know, in, in the classroom. So I think that one, well, that would be one of the ways that they can uh, contribute and it will be easier to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the big things that worked out really well for me this past summer is, so they had, I lecture, did like mini lectures, it was like 20 minutes of me talking, and then they had a bunch of time to work on problems in groups. And then at the end of that problem session, they each had to write up one to turn into me. So, but, well, one that I, they had not seen before. So I had it on a separate sheet of paper, and I would give them this problem, and they'd have to do it and turn it into me before they took a break. So mm-hmm. my class was three hours long, so there was a break in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would get time to work on problems, and then they would have to write one up that I was going to grade. Mm-hmm. And so this fact that they knew that was coming, mm-hmm. right, after the first week, the, the structure of the class didn't change. They knew what was going to happen. They knew that at the end of this half-hour period, I was going to give them a problem that they were going to have to do that was more or less the same as one of the ones that already they had been seeing on this worksheet, and they'd have to turn that into me, and I would grade it. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that was coming got them to realize, okay, I actually have to work now. Definitely. Like I need to be awake. I need to be working. I need to be mm-hmm. figuring this out with my group mates mm-hmm. so that I am ready to do this problem when he gives it to me. Now, they could still work on that with their group mates as well. I wasn't, it wasn't like a quiz or anything, but still they had to be ready to write it down on their own mm-hmm. and turn it in. So having that sort of thing they were still responsible for at the end, mm-hmm. I think was a big motivating factor in getting them to stay in the group and stay in the mentality and at least do at least something during the, the group work mm-hmm. active sort of session. Yeah, that actually sounds like a great plan. Yeah, definitely giving them responsibility for their own learning. So yeah, I completely agree with you. <laughs> in that same vein, I want to talk about student buy-in. So we're talking about giving them some more responsibility for their own learning. Um, But as you've mentioned, students aren't really used to this. They're used to walking into a classroom. I'm going to sit here, the professor's going to lecture, I'm going to go home, do some homework, and then I'm going to take a test. But it seems like this active learning model just really isn't going to work if the students aren't willing to buy in. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about, have either of you had experiences where students just don't want to buy into this new model of learning? And how do you overcome that challenge? And in that same vein, if you can say something about if you have experience with um, non-majors, someone who's just there because they're own major requires it or because it's a gen ed not because it's just something they're genuinely interested in um it seems like we would have less buy-in from them because they're like oh i'm i don't really want to learn this and you're making me work so hard for something that i just have to do and don't want to do it so uh could you tell us about your experiences with with that i will say i don't think i have found a good solution to this problem yet um and the way i mean because the way that i've done it is by putting points on it like what I was just saying about the giving them a problem afterwards to do it, it gave them at least enough motivation because there are points coming on this problem. The whole like, have a discussion with your group and talk about these things. I really haven't had too much success with that. I had other days in my class this this summer where we were doing some sort of, some sort of fun activity. So they had a quiz at the start of class. I knew they were all burnt out and didn't want to do much else. So it was actually an exam day. Um, and so I had some sort of fun sort of 
more fun activity, more involved, sort of we're going to play with some stuff and see what happens, sort of day planned. And I had so much less sort of buy-in and actual like people wanting to do things. I got a couple students hooked on it and that was great, but the class as a whole was just super disengaged. They didn't want to really do what I was saying, didn't really want to play with stuff or figure things out because there weren't any points assigned to it. Mm. And so that became an issue where that class, I kind of just gave up on that class. I was like, it was going to happen. <laughs> there wasn't much I was going to do, so we'll let it go. I'm only going to kind of test it anyway at the end, so it's okay. Um, but really the only way I was able to get them to sort of do all the stuff that I wanted and, and buy into it was by putting points on it. I'm not sure if there is a better way to do that. I mean, there should be a better way. I'm not sure. I haven't found it yet, at least. Well, I do two things. So the first is like the first day of class, I explain my teaching approach and I say, you know, like how I teach and this is what you are expecting from me and this is what you will do every week and you will expect a lot of group work. So if you're shy or you're not really comfortable, you know, like you need to think twice about taking the class. Usually they do stay, you know, they're very open to the idea. And then I explain, you know, like you need to come prepare and coming prepare is reading everything because over here we're going to discover new things in groups and together. So, you know, like setting that, um, clarifying that the first day of class has been really helpful because they already know what to expect. They, they come to class and they know they're going to be in groups and they're going to be working with them. So that's one thing. And the second thing that I've been doing, uh, you know, like here at Rockers, is I created like a point scale. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, up to 10 points that they can get every day. So I actually grade every day's participation, which sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. But in my scale, uh, you know, just arriving late to class is six points. You get automatically six points out of 10 just for being late. If you are there, if you participate and everything, you can get up to 10 points. But 10 points is really difficult to get. It's like you're really there. You really read the story. You were engaged. And you know, you were not only sitting down. Then you get 10 points. Uh, if you are maybe, I don't know, like there, but not really there, you know, you're, you didn't read or something, then it might be between 7 and 6. It depends. If you're absent, it's 0. So, you know, like that already says, if you're absent, you're losing your 10 points, your 10 uh, you know, like the participation points. So when I go home, <laughs> so I, in my attendance, I write my numbers, you know, depending on what I see. So if I see that this person was in a group but was not talking and the other one was, you know, so I write my little note and I get home and then I post on, on my grade book on Sakai, like the number. So they already know that for some reason, and they know, like if they were sleeping, they know that they have that five because for some reason, and in notes, I said, you were sleeping, or I saw you using your cell phone, or, and they never complain about that. So, you know, like I've seen over the semester every week that they're trying a lot because they see that their grade, their participation grade is not what they were expecting. So you, you see the people that were not talking, raising their hand, trying their best to really participate or, you know, to be in groups and, and be there. And, and, and I think that it has worked so far and it's, a lot, it's about points, but it's, you know, like saying, well, you know, like this is, this 15% is your job, not mine. And if you really want it, it's here, I just put in, 
your points, but it's your job and just assessing, you know, like grading your participation. So that has worked. That's that's really cool. Yeah. I'm now trying to think of how it would work in my sort of stuff. But yeah, that's uh, no. Again, it feels like it's a point thing, which is terrible that yeah. you have to motivate with points. Mm-hmm. But if it's what it is, it's what it is. Yeah. Um, I know, at least in terms of buy-in stuff, um, this is sort of something I've also been thinking about with this regard, is I actually had the, the most trouble from one of my better students. Um, and I, my, my sort of thought behind it is, if someone is going to be entirely fine learning from lecture, I can learn from lecture, do a couple problems, understand it, and be good to go if they view this as just extra work, mm. right? The whole, this whole doing group work and sort of talking about things is just extra work for them. They're sort of going to be a little bit resentful of it and not really want to jump in because, like, I can just do this on my own. I can read it on my own and learn things and be good to go. They're little, they're, they, that was sort of the one case where I wasn't sure what to do because it was like they, they were – there and definitely a great student but they weren't sort of willing to play along with all the stuff I was trying to do because they're like I can just learn this on my own it's not a big deal I can just do this and they didn't really want to sort of dive into the fun activities I had planned for that day and stuff so it was I mean I don't know if you have any comments on that that was sort of a side thing that popped up as I was thinking about stuff Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's something that I saw in my class. Uh, so actually the first day of class, I, I connect active learning to the real world in, this, in the way that I, you know, I try to say, well, in the real world, you're supposed to work with others and you're supposed to, you know, like, you know, try to find solutions together with other people and the greatest ideas and the better, I don't know, like the best projects have been groups of people that were able to work together and find solutions. So this is just preparation for your life out there because out there, that's how people work and and that's a skill that you really need to learn. So they, they see it as a kind of an internship too. They kind of get it, oh, okay, so yes. And I always try to motivate the shy people because I, I say, well, it's okay to be shy. You know, like it's fine to have moments like that. But also in a job, we need to learn not to be shy sometimes and how to try to be out there and and, and put our voices, you know, um, to allow our voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the answer to this question is uh, maybe already obvious and somewhat already answered, but do you believe that active learning is useful, that it's important, that it's productive, and why or why not? Uh, I definitely believe that it is really useful and really uh, productive, and I think that it, it is. it doesn't have to be the only approach to learning, but it should definitely be one that everyone could try, at least I don't know, like five times during the semester. It doesn't have to be, you know, because there are so many different teaching approach, approaches. Um, but one way, I don't know, like there are moments when a lecture is necessary for some reason to clarify an idea or a concept. So in that way, yeah, use it maybe. But active learning is useful for different moments where it's necessary to work in groups. And when you really need... Uh, 
different skills and 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 when you you know it's better when you are together in a group and and finding reasons and solutions and arguments and constructing things together so yeah as an approach to teaching i think that it should be used and it should be implemented and and that it, there should be workshops you know for people that and actually you don't need to have an active learning classroom to do active learning. So a workshop explaining all the activities that you can do in a regular classroom will be definitely beneficial. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, again, about that last kind about classrooms, I've t been talking about two classes I ran. Only one of them was an active learning classroom. The other was in a very standard desk facing a chalkboard sort of classroom. And you can still make things like this work no matter what your physical environment is. It might take a little more planning, mm -hmm. but you can make it work no matter where you are. Um, I think really the more we learn about how people learn, the more we realize how important this active learning thing is. The fact that like not everyone learns best sitting and staring at a chalkboard while someone talks at them about whatever concept um, they're trying to learn. People learn different ways. You learn better in groups. And sometimes learning in groups is demonstrably better than learning and staring at a chalkboard. I know we have a study that's been out in the math community that they were studying how active learning is used in the math classroom and different sort of outcomes from that. And I believe the line from there is something like if this, they were doing like a, a control, control group was standard like lecture-based learning and then they had the active learning that they were testing. And I believe the line was if this was a medical trial, they would have discontinued the control group for how ineffective it was <laughs> and how much worse it was than the actual active learning sort of group. But there were so much better results they were getting out of the active classroom that purely lecture alone just isn't quite cutting it. And again, like we've talked about several times, sometimes lecture is necessary. Sometimes you need to just get up and talk about something. It's like you have to lecture a little bit to get some point across or to introduce something. Mm -hmm. Like introducing material via active learning is kind of strange and iffy and doesn't necessarily work the way it maybe should. So you have to lecture a little bit at least. But it shouldn't be your only method of teaching. And like again, you were saying, it, it may, you may have to do everything active. Not everything has to be a fun activity about this, that, the other thing, but mixing it in, sort of having things change every little while where they can um, learn different skills and talk with people and sort of discuss, as well as sort of spending some time on their own reading stuff, because that also is an important skill to learn while you're a student. Okay, but you mentioned something that was really important, uh, Annie, and you said that uh, when we learn how people learn, then we know that this is actually useful. And, and that's really the key, you know, like different people learn in so many different ways uh, that active learning is tackling uh, like, I don't know, like maybe five different teaching or learning styles will be like the visual, the technolo technological student, uh, the ones that want, like to work in groups, uh, the the person that is outgoing and likes to I don't know, um, but it doesn't really uh, it might not be the best approach for someone who likes to work on their own or who likes only to read alone or who has trouble I don't know like um, making friends or you know it w it could be and I think that is is a very useful technique that anyone can try it and that the students should try it. 
but it doesn't have to be the only way because in a class you can definitely do all of this. You can give individual work, you can give them homework, you can do lecture, and you can do a lot of actor learning too, depending on, on what you're trying, what your objective is, I guess. And I think the big thing coming out of all this is this active learning sort of adding this into um, a classroom, wherever it may be, helps us reach more students more effectively. And so people from different backgrounds who don't necessarily handle things the same way I do when I'm teaching a class, if I have a more of an active setup where I can teach for a little bit and then they can sort of talk to each other and discuss things and sort things out on their own or work through different types of scenarios and different types of setups, more people will, get, will learn more from that than they would if I was just lecturing. And so it lets you reach more people. And I think really that's sort of where we're heading in education yes. is the idea of we need to try to reach as many people as possible. And if you're teaching a class, your goal is to get as many people as possible mm -hmm. to understand the material. Yes. And if lecture alone isn't going to do that, then mm -hmm. you need to try something else. If active learning alone isn't going to do that, you just sort of mix the two and find some sort of happy medium where you can get everyone sort of on the same page and get all your students together learning the material better than they were before. Mm -hmm. So you've both been teaching for a while now. How have your views on active learning evolved since you started teaching? I'll say I didn't really have any views on it before I started teaching here. Um, I hadn't really heard of this thing called active learning. I mean, obviously I had done it in many of my classes, but no one had pitched it to me as active learning. No one had sort of phrased it in that way before I started coming here and started talking to people around Rutgers and the whole active learning community we have here, where it sort of like started piecing it together. It was like, this is, these are things that I would do anyway when teaching a class, but there's this whole community around doing this stuff and implementing these things in the classrooms and doing things like that. So, I mean, my views on active learning have gone from zero to it's something that I think is very important to put in a classroom and something that I've sort of tried to add to my repertoire of teaching skills and abilities that I've sort of developed over these last years of teaching that I know is something that I want to have stick with me as I sort of move forward in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually had the same experience that, that you. I really didn't know what active learning was before. It was like, um, yeah, I never heard of it. Never, no one ever told me about it. I was just doing similar things in my classroom and, and doing, you know, using different pedagogical techniques to reach as many students as I as I could, but I really didn't know that that was called active learning. So when someone told me, are you interested in, in doing this? I was like, well, I don't know. That sounds so <laughs> profound, so difficult, I don't know. And when I went to a workshop and then, you know, you actually start doing it, then you're like, wait, I, I did this before. Is, this is not that difficult. It might require more preparation because it definitely you need to design lessons to reach a lot of people and to use different methods and, and techniques. But if you get uh, that practice, then I don't know, like after the third time that you're designing a lesson, it, it's easier because you become even you become really creative. And then you're thinking outside of the box and thinking, well, what can I do to teach this or that? So I think that uh, since since I had that experience, um, yeah, it, I also um, grew more as an educator and I, I've been developing myself more as a, as a teacher and someone who is open to different approaches and to try everything that is new because the world is changing so rapidly 
that you know like we need to be on top of everything you know technological um, wise and and yeah so this is one of the one more skill that mm -hmm. that we can check in our <laughs> yes mm -hmm. so we've been talking a lot in sort of general terms of active learning is a good thing it's productive in all these wonderful ways you can scale it up for your class size um, but I want to get down to a really concrete level now um, could you tell us about maybe one or two of your favorite activities that you've done with active learning in one of your classrooms okay so um, this was uh, they were supposed to read a short story and the short story was from Mexico and it was about the cartels and uh, I knew that the majority were not going to read the short story because it was 20 pages long the short story <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I took different fragments from the story you know different themes that I saw you know like I did the homework so I read it and I chose the themes and I chose what I wanted them to get out of this and why that was important so uh, when we got to class I had a PowerPoint with the instructions of what I wanted them to do so in each table I put an envelope with the fragments, different, like they had five fragments. Each student were supposed to have one. So each one was supposed to work with their fragment. And then they had a question that together they, they were supposed to answer with those fragments. So everyone was supposed to work together, but also individually. So after they got to the answer, they were supposed to use the whiteboards that we had and made a table, like visually explain what they wrote, you know? So with a drawing or with a table, a diagram, whatever it was, because then they were supposed to present this to different groups. Um, but that was the original idea that presenting to different groups, but at the end what happened was that I made them rotate to each board whiteboard so they were supposed to look at this diagram or picture whatever they did and figure out what what the answer was they had the question like on the board like the question was there so the i asked a different group like why do you think this group was answering based on the drawing or or something like that so uh we got different you know it was really creative and they got like different answers and so it was really exciting to see um, that a lot of students were really engaged with the material, that sometimes the graphics or whatever they did in the whiteboard was not really legible to others, but they were able to understand what they were coming from and explain that idea. So it was a good way of engaging people, you know, from different points of views. And then at the end, you know, like I kind of wrap it up and gave like what I really wanted them to, to get out of it. Uh, but it was really fun, and they really liked it. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Uh, so from my end, I've had sort of a couple different ones that I've sort of tried to do with varying degrees of success. Um, so like I think I mentioned once before, once or twice before, um, the first two summers ago, the class I ran was a flipped classroom. So I had videos for the entire class that they would watch before they came to class. 
And then in class, they would spend the whole time sort of working on problems and discussing things um, on that end. So that was sort of this whole group work type thing was sort of a, just a generic thing over the entire course that was supposed to sort of get them involved. Again, varying degrees of success. Some groups did better. Some groups didn't do so hot with that sort of thing. Um, but along with that, I also had them do presentations. So at some point um, near the middle end of, of a class on a given day, I would sort of give each group, so I, I had six groups of four, so I would give each group a different problem. They were supposed to then solve right up on the whiteboards that were in the active room, and then I would sort of go around and point at the different groups, and they would present their solutions um, to the rest of the class. Um, so the goal there was to you know, get them up, get them moving, get them talking, um, and sort of have them discuss sort of the solutions from there. Um, which again, some groups took that really well and ran with it and had really good solutions and were, were like confident in presenting and talking about stuff. Other groups were not so much. So that was another iffy one. Um, but I had two more um, in this previous summer that I think went really well. Um, well, well, and then could have been better, but still went well. Um, so the first was, again, you had your people walking around the room talking about stuff. Um, on the first day of class, um, I had the students all, basically I had poster paper, and that at the break, I more or less hung up poster paper around the entire room, and I had like 25 different problems on the poster paper, and had all the students get a marker and go solve the problem sort of on the paper on the wall, and then they could all walk around the entire room and see all the problems sort of put together. Um, I did this sort of as a review activity, as sort of like prereq material, stuff they were supposed to know before they got into the class. So they would sort of come in, they would see, okay, these are things that I need to know before I take this class and before I move forward in the class. I need to know all of this stuff. And so basically among that, I said I picked up a couple of problems people where people struggled with. And I was like, okay, I should talk about this for a little bit before we move on because no one was willing to do this problem because they couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, so that sort of, I mean, gallery walk type thing where they're all up on the wall and they sort of walk around and sort of inspect and can sort of look at everyone else's solutions and make sure that they know what they did and sort of figure things out. I think that went really well. Um, the second one was something I tried a week or two later in the class. Um, and I tried some sort of jigsaw type activity. So I took the class of 25 or 24, I think I had. I split them into groups, into, into six groups. So I had six different groups. Uh, in the class, and after going through sort of a couple examples together as a whole group and having them work on an example and then me give them what the answer was supposed to look like so they knew sort of what the format of the answer was because it's a brand new topic for them, mm -hmm. I didn't want to be like, here, you just solve it and not tell them what the answer was supposed to look like mm -hmm. because then everyone knows the answer wrong and that's bad. Mm -hmm. um, so after working through a couple in, with their groups, I gave each group a different problem to work on so they all had a separate problem of the same type that we were doing today to all work on. They were sort of work it out, solve it all, and sort of get the answer together. And then I scrambled the groups. Hmm. And so every new group had one person from an old group in it. And then the plan was then they would all sort of go around and share their answers and talk about how they solved the problem. Um, which ran into a couple of just sort of issues with the execution of it. I think the activity itself was fantastic and worked out pretty well as a whole. They all did also do pretty well on that problem on the exam, so I'm happy with that. Um, but sort of the issues I ran into there, which I'm just going to say for the sake of this, was 
um, the timing on it because not all groups worked at the same mm-hmm. speed. And so if not all the groups finish at the same time, like you were saying, people that were the fast, the overachievers that are bored and twiddling their thumbs the entire time, that's what I had. I had groups that were done early mm-hmm. that were sitting there spinning their wheels, not knowing what to do. And I had other groups that were really far behind and hadn't really solved the problem yet. And so I couldn't switch the groups up because that group wasn't done yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sort of became, at some point, I just had to be like, okay, we have to scramble the groups now because otherwise we're not going to finish by the end of class. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became, so that became the issue. But I think as a whole, that sort of activity worked out really well. And with a little more planning and experience with doing stuff like that, I think it could be really like a nice thing to add to a class like this. Mm-hmm. And something that you mentioned that I was thinking about when you were telling us your great lesson plans that you did, that you create, was um, that active learning actually forces the students to stand up and move around. And I've, I have, you know, I think that's so, so important because I've, I've been reading a lot about this and it's so unhealthy to be sitting down for so long and just to be able to, you know, like force the students to, to move, to, I don't know, use the whiteboards, move their hands, their legs, everything. It's, <laughs> it's so good. It oxygenates your brain. So, you know, that, that's one more good thing about active learning. Yeah. <laughs> add it to the list. Yeah, it gets them the list. physically active as well. Yes. Not just mentally active, but yes, also physically, physically. active. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so maybe to, as a final wrap-up, uh, could each of you give a piece of advice um, primarily for new TAs or really any educators um, on using active learning? So I think the the one piece of advice I would say, and it's kind of a two-part thing, is go for it. If you're interested in trying out something like this, go for it, give it a shot, um, read up whatever you can, and sort of just go for it. It's, Nothing's going to change unless you give it a shot. Unless you try and go for it and try to do something, you're never going to figure out if it works for you or not. If it's something you enjoy doing or it's something, you know, that might not be something to do this often, but it's something that works every once in a while. Um, The caveat to that is if you're looking to do something like this, start small. I did not do this, and my first sort of foray into this was the flipped classroom where I made videos for the entire class (laughs) and basically rebuilt this thing from the ground up. It was great. It wasn't necessarily the best um, first experience and the first sort of, not the best use of my time in terms of sort of designing some sort of active environment. So I would say if you have thoughts about it, read up some stuff and just go for it. Try to do something in your class. I mean, if you're a TA, probably talk to your instructor and make sure they're on board. Um, But go for it. Give it a shot. See how it goes. Um, but probably just do, just do like one day or maybe like half a lesson. You say, okay, instead of me talking about this, we're going to do this activity instead and see how it gets received by the students, see how you feel about it. And then just sort of go for it from there. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Just try it. I think that that's, uh, one of the, like my advice is to try it and, not to have that many expectations in the sense, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Uh, because active learning is all about trying something new and seeing if it works. And sometimes it's not going to work and that's completely okay. Because, you know, like once you're learning how to do it, 
a lot of things might go wrong, but you will learn with each you know session and learn from something new and then one day you're gonna try it and see oh you know this actually worked and then you can put it in your teaching portfolio you know thinking about the job market (laughs) (laughs) and you know see it as something that worked or uh, and, and not do the things that didn't and try to modify those things but yeah like try it and don't be afraid to make mistakes because that's completely okay yeah I think that is that is on top of outside of even the active learning context. I think that's the biggest thing for teachers in general is things are going to not work. Mm-hmm. And you have to be okay with that. And if you're going to try something, try it. It might work, it might not, but you can always learn from whatever what happened, take the good with you, leave the bad behind yes. instead of just keep growing as a teacher. Definitely, yes. My thanks again to today's guest, Matt Charnley and Sandra Medina. For more information or resources mentioned in this episode, Check out our show notes on our blog at tapruckers.wordpress.com. You can also find more information on our website at tap.ruckers.edu. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing with a friend. Until next time, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.